point. And uh, we're back on Revelation. Believe it or not, this is our 14th session on the book of Revelation. We, we haven't got all that much further to go, actually. Um, and I do, I do believe that we need to, to finish it. A uh, couple of weeks ago, we dealt with Revelation chapter 17, where we talked about the utter destruction of religious Babylon. That's a religion that actually goes wrong. As happened in Jesus' time, of course, where there were so many additional laws that had been developed by the religious leaders and the religious leaders were actually oppressing particularly the poor in Israel. And of course, there are other religions and there always have been. Religious Babylon is going to be utterly destroyed probably just before the millennial rule of Jesus. If you want to bring up the next slide, I showed you this one a few weeks ago. This is just a reminder essentially of, of where we're at. So and I've got a, those slides I brought up a couple of weeks ago on the, on the, the judgments as well, but the, the, the period of tribulation really is when God's judgment is poured out on the earth. And especially in the second half of uh, the tribulation period of seven years, that second three and a half years, this is when the the bowl, uh, sorry, the, the the three lots of seven judgments are poured out on the earth. That's sometimes referred to as the time of the wrath of God. Uh, God promises that those of us who are Christians will be spared. His wrath. Uh, many, including me, believe that there will be a rapture of Bible-believing Christians prior to the tribulation beginning. Uh, others, like Rodman Williams, believe that God will somehow protect Christians during that period that we will actually be here, but God will protect us as he protected Israel from the plagues in Egypt just prior to them coming out of slavery uh, in Egypt. So there are different views. What I'm suggesting is that if we, we look at the book of Revelation as much as possible as a, a kind of a, an historical um, overview of the end of human history, historical and not in the sense that it's actually already happened, but it's a kind of logical process through time. So this What's happening in terms of the destruction of Babylon happens probably towards the end of that period of tribulation. So it's while these judgments are being um, meted out to the wicked on the earth, this is the time of Babylon's destruction. Now, Babylon, uh, actually, um, no, I'll keep going for a minute. Babylon, we're not talking about a physical city anymore. What's left of Babylon is about 60 kilometres outside of uh, Baghdad in Iraq. And um, there, there's quite a lot of digging going on there now. But it's not talking about the physical city. Um, Paul used Babylon as a metaphor for Rome at the time of the Roman Empire. Babylon itself 
uh, was pretty much in ruins any, anyway, uh, a few hundred years before Jesus was, uh, was born on the earth. So we're not talking about a city. I doubt that we're talking about the Roman Catholic Church either, as a lot of commentators have said. Uh, Babylon is actually representative of a culture, a culture that does not honour the one true living God and a culture that oppresses those who don't go along with the predominant um, cultural perspective. And we've seen many periods in history where that happened literally, of course, to Israel when they were exiled in Babylon. And we read all about that in the book of Daniel. So Babylon, I believe, represents a system. In Revelation 17, it represents a religious system. And as we shall see in Revelation 18, Babylon represents a political and an economic system system. So if we can quickly go through the next couple of slides. Seven seals, Revelation 6 to Revelation 8, 5. Then just move on, we don't want to read through it. Then the seven trumpets, Revelation 8, verse 9 through to 11, 19. And then the seven bowls that we find in Revelation 16. And uh, you can go back and have a look at those. If anybody wants my PowerPoint slides, by the way, you're welcome to... Um, I'm happy to email them to you. So Revelation chapter 17, a couple of weeks ago, we see that an angel takes John into the wilderness in his vision, not literally, but in his vision. He stares in total amazement at a woman called Babylon the Great, also the great whore. She's the great, sorry, the mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. She rides a scarlet, seven-headed, ten-horned beast. Pretty scary. But eventually the beast and his ten horns turn against the woman and destroy her. And basically the story there is that a religion will be used by political leaders for their ends. And when religion is no longer useful to them, they will turn against it. And that's the way in which religious Babylon is utterly destroyed. We move on to Revelation chapter 18. And I'm actually going to end up reading the whole of the chapter because it, it, it's broken down into a number of parts which I'd, I'd like to explain. But the basic story in Revelation chapter 18, John sees another angel a big angel come down from heaven and basically the whole earth is lit up by this angel. And the angel declares that Babylon is fallen. There's reference to the kings of the world who have committed adultery with her. This is a reference to oppressive government self-serving politicians. And then as we move on through the chapter, there's reference to the merchants of the world who will weep and mourn for her and there will be nobody to buy their goods. That's an utter collapse of the economic system. I would suggest that the issue here is greed and gluttony of profit alone capitalism 
and consumerism. I kind of get a little bit amused when I, when I read people who rant about capitalism, but they themselves have not um, managed to wriggle out of the shackles of consumerism. We're in cahoots, folks. We're in cahoots with the businesses in this world who produce all that stuff that we believe we need. Uh, by the way, I, I, um, I'm, I'm, I don't use the term capitalism anymore. It gets me into too much trouble. But I believe in biblical economics and biblical business, which actually is a kind of capitalism, because all capitalism is actually is the private ownership of property combined with a capacity and a commitment to jolly hard work. What tends to be missing in capitalism today is compassion for those who don't quite make it in the system. And, and, and the Bible is so clear about private ownership, about diligent work. You know, the, there is a lot of criticism of indolence in the Bible. God does not countenance lazy people. And um, there's even the possibility that being lazy has eternal consequences. He that does not look after his own, right, is worse than an infidel or an unbeliever, we are told. But that's a story for another day. So what I'd like to do is to start reading through uh, Revelation chapter 18. After all this, I'm using the New Living Translation. I think you understand why I do that. I do that because not everybody is necessarily familiar with one or other of the versions of the Bible. And this is a pretty good translation. It tries to be a word-for-word translation, uh, but it's relatively easy to understand as well. After all this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority and the earth grew bright with his splendor he gave a mighty shout Babylon is fallen the great city is fallen she has become a home for demons she is a hideout for every foul spirit a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal for all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. So this this part of the chapter, verses 1 to 3, is the angel's declaration of the destruction of Babylon, the political and the economic Babylon. Verses 4 to 8. There's another voice, and this is a voice with a warning, and it's probably a warning that is intended for Christians, all followers of Jesus throughout history. Then I heard another voice calling from heaven, come away from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her 
as she has done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. She brewed a cup of terror for others, so brewed twice as much for her. She glorified herself and lived in luxury, so match it now with torment and sorrow. She boasted in her heart, I am queen on my throne. I am no helpless widow. I have no reason to mourn. Therefore, these plagues will overtake her in a single day, death and mourning and famine. She will be completely consumed by fire. For the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Wow. That's a warning, all right, isn't it? Come out of her or come away from her. My people have nothing to do with corrupt political systems and corrupt economic systems. Verses 9 to 10, a reference to political Babylon. And the kings of the world who committed adultery with her and enjoyed her great luxury will mourn for her as they see the smoke rising from her charred remains. They will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will cry out, How terrible! How terrible for you, O Babylon, you great city! In a single moment, God's judgment came upon you. If we can just go to the next slide, we'll come back to this one. We'll just go to the next slide. That's a map. Uh, that, that's a map which is based on, on freedom indices. Um, we're talking here about the freedom that people have, both politi- politically, uh, religiously, and economically. All of these things go into this index. And... Uh, where you can see the, the purple patches, those indicate areas of the world where there is very little freedom. Now, freedom is an essential in Christianity. God even gives us the freedom to choose whether or not to accept his free gift of salvation. That's how much choice he gives us. But in much of the world, people are not free. They're not free politically or religiously or even economically. And you can see that covers a large share of the earth. Well, about 50% of the land, but it's more than 50% of the population. Because it includes China, of course, and the whole of the... um, formerly Eastern European uh, countries and members of the Soviet bloc. Now, there's lots of other countries which are somewhere in between and they're indicated by all the yellow patches. And then countries which are freer are indicated by the green. Now, you have the freedom to tell me to shut up, but, but I, I just want to, I want to alert you to something no, you can, you can, because we're all friends here. I want to, I, I want to alert you to something. This is the Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Act 2021, passed by the Victorian Parliament. Now, you've got to understand 
that it wasn't just members of the Labor Party who voted in favour of this legislation. There were members of political parties that we would normally consider to be conservative who actually crossed the floor and also voted for this legislation. Right? Now, I want to read to you. I'm just going to read a tiny, tiny bit. I've read through this twice now. Um, once, probably about a month ago, and then again just uh, this morning, actually. We start out with an explanation of the purposes of this Act. The very first purpose listed is to denounce and prohibit change or suppression practices. What are we using that word denounce for in any parliament of Australia. That is the language of a totalitarian state. This is serious. This is happening in our nation. Now, the Victorian government have essentially said, this act supersedes anything that science has ever said about our choice of sexual expression. In other words, all the science that says that young people often suffer from gender dysphoria, it's just not, not, not knowing really who I am, right? What this bill actually says is that that stuff doesn't matter anymore. They define sex as that which is determined by, by the genes, all right? So, yes, there are male and female sexes, but then there's also gender. And that is what is determined in your mind. So you can have the sexual um, genes of a male, but in your mind you can decide to be a female... And this legislation specifically states there is nothing wrong with that. And actually, if you think there's something wrong with that, then there's something wrong with you. Now, I'm just going to go to page eight of this act. Now, this, is, this act has been passed, by the way, and it'll, it'll come into operation in about the middle of 2022. Now, um, for the purposes of subsection one, don't worry about that, a practice includes, this is a practice of change or suppression, includes but is not limited to the following. And item B says this, carrying out a religious practice, including but not limited to prayer, sorry, a prayer-based practice, a deliverance practice, or an exorcism. Now, if you have a look... Along with the legislation, they also published notes. I haven't printed it all out, but they also published notes. Now, it's not, and what, what, what this is saying, when it uses a word but is not limited to, what that means is we're going to leave it to the courts to figure that out. Right? And we, we know that by and large, the judicial system is populated by people who have left-leaning opinions. That, and in fact, uh, one of the Australia's leading Christian lawyers said to me a few years ago, in his view, if we don't do something to, 
to um, encourage young Christians to get into law, in 30 years there'll be no Christians practicing law in Australia. Um, now you look at them, oh, well, that's not too bad, is it? But you know what? If someone, if you were convicted in a Victorian court, it's a criminal offence, right? So you could pray for somebody who comes to you and says, like, a, a, a young man or a young woman says, look, I really think I'm trapped in the wrong body. You can pray, you, let's say you pray for release, you pray for healing. That can become a criminal offence. Now, the maximum prison sentence is 10 years. The maximum fine is currently $200,000. It's 1,200 penalty units. And that's an or and. In other words, you could... The, the worst... This is the worst case scenario. You could face 10 years in jail and a fine of just under $200,000. For doing something that, in a sense, comes naturally to us who are Christians. All right? Now, if you don't think it matters, I've also spoken to a senior person in another Pentecostal denomination. It's not ACC, but it's another Pentecostal denomination who put a lot of effort into reframing their doctrinal statement. And they have an absolutely brilliant biblical statement on marriage in their doctrinal statement, which anybody can go and download from the internet. I, I downloaded it myself this morning. It's, it's still up there. And um, it is very likely that that statement itself would put the whole movement as a, as a body corporate in contravention of the Victorian legislation. And the, reason, the reason why is that their doctrinal statement says it, in God's eyes there's only one marital state, man and woman, there's only one uh, circumstance in which, in which sexual union is uh, like allowed by God, which of course is a man and a woman in a covenantal marriage. And this legislation actually says, you know what, you can't say that. Now, I'm not a lawyer. But as I said, I've read this legislation very carefully. In fact, I, I sent a message to a senior person at this ministry that was um, being criticised by the um, leading pastor that I, I spoke about a little earlier. I felt so concerned um, for them. But you see, I've read it. I, I'm not listening to what people are saying in the media. I've actually read the legislation and the notes that go with it. And that's what judges will use in a court of law. And if, if we were, for example, to, 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 to believe that somebody was under demonic influence, right, and we prayed about that, that could contravene the law in Victoria. Now, if a church in Victoria sent someone up here where it's, it's, not, it's not illegal for us to do that here, but it would be under the Victorian legislation, right? Because it's illegal to send someone from Victoria to another jurisdiction 
where someone would pray for them. Now look, prayer, exorcism, those things are not defined in the letter. They've got a whole list of definitions. They don't define what they are. So ultimately it will be what a judge thinks they are. And if a judge hasn't been, you know, in a Pentecostal church for 30 years of Sundays, they won't really be very well informed about our doctrines or our practices. So this is happening in our nation now. And it wasn't only the left political parties that voted in favour, or I should say the left politicians, because not all members of the more conservative parties voted in favour of the legislation, but enough of them did for it to pass. This week, the pastors in ACC received a letter via the electronic magazine requesting that we all write to the Prime Minister and tell him to hurry up with the religious freedom legislation. You might remember that at the time of the same-sex marriage debate, the then Prime Minister promised that there would be freedom of religion legislation passed so that we wouldn't kind of get caught up in the whole same-sex marriage issue so that, you know, we we wouldn't wind up, um, you know, breaking some law. Now, the then Prime Minister refused to include religious freedom in the bill itself that was going through the Parliament, but he promised that there would be religious uh, freedom. We haven't got it yet. We haven't got it yet. So Pastor Mark Edwards, who's a very well-known pastor in Pentecostal circles, he's written an open letter to every pastor in the ACC saying, please take this seriously. Why? Because even in our nation, we have a Babylonian political system. It's not just that either. Um, I, I think that we, we need to be extremely careful about what I would call professional politicians. These are people who have made a career out of politics. They've not necessarily had experience anywhere else. They've come up through maybe a politician's office and then they get pre-selected and they get voted into parliament. Our parliament is supposed to be representative. It's supposed to be representative of people from all strata of society, from all different occupations, but it's not a very representative parliament at all. So we don't actually have the representative democracy that our constitution established for us. Largely because we now have political parties who have an agenda that they want to actually force upon people. And within those parties, the majority of people who are in the parliament are professional politicians. The original idea was that people like us would sacrifice a few years out of our careers to sit in the parliament for the good of our communities. So it's just been undermined over the last 120 years or so. And, and you might think I'm exaggerating, that's okay. But I would strongly urge you, just become aware of what is going on 
around us. I'm strongly opposed to the idea of professional politicians, although some, some I know quite well, and they are Christians. And we need Christians in, in, in parliaments. But um, I, I think that what we have now is a lot of people who are there to serve themselves, not the nation. And they are certainly there to push their own political agenda onto everybody else. Okay, uh, verse 20, we're nearly finished uh, and we've gone over time. You'll have to, um, I don't know, dock my salary or something. Um, verse uh, 20 is a kind of interlude which just says this, Rejoice over her fate, O heaven, and people of God and apostles and prophets, for at last God has judged her for your sakes. That, I think, is a very important verse. God sees it all. God sees it all. And he will eventually move against those who oppress us. Then verse uh, 21 to 24. Hang on, have I got there yet? Oh, sorry, what am I doing? I skipped a page. I, I didn't. Uh, I want to um, hang on. What am I doing? I haven't talked about. Sorry. Um, verses uh, eleven to nineteen speak about economic Babylon, and actually there are some verses in here that are very reminiscent of a couple of chapters in Ezekiel. I think it's about chapter twenty-six and twenty-seven in Ezekiel. So here we go. Verses eleven to nineteen. The merchants of the world will weep and mourn for her. For there is no one left to buy their goods. She bought great quantities of gold, silver, jewels and pearls, fine linen, purple silk and scarlet cloth, things made of fragrant cyan wood, ivory goods and objects made of expensive wood and bronze, iron and marble. She also bought cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, wagons and bodies, that is, human slaves. The fancy things you loved so much are gone, they cry. All your luxuries and splendour are gone forever, never to be yours again. The merchants who became wealthy by selling her these things will stand at a distance, terrified by her great torment. They will weep and cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. She was clothed in finest purple and scarlet linens, decked out with gold and precious stones and pearls. In a single moment, all the wealth of the city is gone and all the captains of the merchant ships and their passengers and sailors and crews will stand at a distance. They will cry out as they watch the smoke ascend and they will say, where is there another city as great as this? And they will weep and throw dust on their heads to show their grief. And they will cry out, how terrible, how terrible for that great city. The ship owners became wealthy by transporting her great wealth on the seas. In a single moment, it is all gone. Well, I've spent most of my professional life teaching economics in universities. And when I, when I read this, and particularly when I read about the city of Tyre, in Ezekiel, what I actually see is a representation here of the unbelievable potential of economic production and trade to produce wealth. You go back and read those chapters in, in, in Ezekiel. 
the capitalism itself has the capacity to make us like unimaginably wealthy. And of course, for many, it has. And especially since about the middle of the 19th century, when the, the limited liability company became established after legislation was passed by the British Parliament, it has lifted literally billions of people out of poverty. It's got so much potential. But there's always the danger that it becomes an idol. That's why the Bible talks so much, not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament about money and wealth and power. What do we see today? We see that often uh, businesses are very, very strongly oriented towards making profit. Other things don't matter, or they don't matter enough. Some people would argue that that is the essence of capitalism. I don't believe it is, not biblical capitalism at any rate. It was never meant to be like that. What's got in there, the sin of greed. But you know, we can't point the finger because we're in cahoots, because we buy into the cult of consumerism. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a nice car and wear nice clothes at all. What we're talking about is making an idol out of possessions. And we don't have to look very far to see that happening. And, um, you know, you, you see it on social media all the time. We Photoshop our own our own image so it looks perfect. We're bought into this wholeness bolus. So that's why. Come out of her. Come out of Babylon. Come away from Babylon. That is what God is saying to us now. In business, it's not profit that is at the centre. It's God's purpose. His desire that all humanity should flourish. And I don't have time to, to draw that out right now. It's not about making, by the way, making a profit is godly. Um, and I'm just about to write a piece on that. But And this coming week, I'm, I'm doing two, two interviews, one uh, for an American ministry and one for the Global Businesses Mission Congress on this stuff. It's my passion. But you know, the economic system that has become what it is today and what was revealed, for example, during the global financial crisis, that will be utterly destroyed. The political system that exploits and oppresses and wrests freedom away from individuals, that system will be utterly destroyed. The religious and political and economic Babylonian systems have to be destroyed because they're utterly inconsistent with the millennial rule and ultimately the eternal rule 
of Jesus Christ. I don't know whether that's a good note to finish on. I won't read through the rest of uh, chapter 18, 21 to 24. They restate the final end of Babylon. Streets flowing with blood. People slaughtered all over the world. It's not going to end well for the wicked. But the wicked don't know. The ones who know don't care. Even right at the end of that period of tribulation, when literal fireballs are raining down from heaven, there'll be people who shake their fists at the God they don't believe in and say, we refuse to follow you. I've got lots more I would like to say, but I won't. Now, we can't really do a normal community time today uh, because of the masking thing. Have we got anything downstairs? No. Um, We did have a discussion about it, but um, 